This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right, so with the show tonight, knowing how we are, Kevin Goldstein from Fangrass and Perry, who's a really good friend of the show, Detroit film critic, it's going to go over quite a bit. So I wanted yeah, to probably. knock this out. Yeah, yeah knowing us, um, I did want to knock this out. It's like a 15-minute talk about the Tigers international signings that took place over the weekend as the Tigers went and signed kind of a almost a few short they signed quite a bit of short stops actually but again they could be anything at this point Chris yeah you you uh basically 90 percent of the players who get signed international uh deals are short stops uh Victor Martinez was a short stop that's always the one that I go back to Miguel Cabrera was a short stop Miguel Sano was a short stop this is, you know, that's where they, they sign guys and, and a lot of them don't stick. And then you've got a handful of catchers and a handful of outfielders and then some pitchers. But it's almost always shortstops. If, if you're like a second baseman already, the odds of you making the majors aren't very good. Yeah, um, that was it. There's one, of the, one of the Tiger signees was 5'9", something like that. I think it was, uh, that it was Gill, Samuel Gill. Samuel Gill. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's pronounced Gill or Heel. You never know uh, until we hear it. You know, we, we thought Isak Paredes was Isaac Paredes for... I don't know, four years before I actually heard it. But yeah, no, he, he strikes me as kind of a Sergio Alcantara type that, that might, if he's going to make it, uh, it's going to have to be on the glove. But, but um, you know, it, it, any of these international signings, we're just going off what other people are writing about them, right? We haven't seen any of these guys. We can find video. You did a great job of digging up some old videos and stuff like that, but it's still, it's almost always in a like batting cage or workout setting. They're not actually playing games against premium competition yeah because we get that when we get that question about what do we think of the draft class it's for me i can't sit there and go well uh based off the fact that javier ocero out of venezuela is ranked number 10 means something because in reality i haven't seen him play so i can't really it's so so difficult to when you see the when you do see the available the video available Mm -hmm. it is what you said chris it's just it's hard to even gauge anything of how his swing mechanics are going to be, or in certain cases with some of these pitchers, for example, there was, I had the Jose Florian, the right-hander out of the Dominican Republic who signed for $10,000. There was, mm-hmm. he barely, I mean, he looks like a kid out of a freshman or sophomore in high school and he's pitching on a, a bullpen session. So how yeah. am I going to gauge anything based off of how he's opening? And you're not, you're not necessarily wrong. I mean, a lot of these kids are 17, 16 some of them some of them are 18 like it's 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 not these are basically high schoolers they're signing and it, yeah I mean, it, it's just always been something of a crapshoot i mean we know there's something to it because certain teams continue to produce decent players from the latin american market so there there's something to it but the tigers haven't really i mean you wrote an article they haven't done a whole lot uh in last eight or nine years basically since they had that uh they had Willie Adamas and Avisail Garcia and Eugenio Suarez come out of that program uh, in, in relatively quick succession, but they were all gone and all did their best work elsewhere, basically. Uh, so you can't really give Tigers too much credit for that. I mean, it's something to get minor leaguers out of or major leaguers out of that. But yeah, they they spent a fair amount of money in these last few years and have very little to show for it. And, you know, some of the guys they have spent money on may still develop. We, we talked about Jose de la Cruz and Adinso Reyes on the show a couple of years ago. 
Uh, we talked about Roberto Campos a lot. We, we brought up Manuel Sequeira several times because he had a big uh, year. And, and I'm going to ask uh, Kevin about Christian Santana because he might actually know somebody who's seen him. But yeah, and he uh, he was like, oh, was it the Evan Pitzerl who got wrote an article today about him kind of him saying, you know, I'm going to be the next big thing. And that's that's great and all. And I'm yeah. maybe paraphrasing how he said it, but that's great to have confidence. But if you can't hit a, a curveball low and away, what? What are you going to do? And then, or anything off speed. Like uh, I always use Pedro Serrano as a major league as a prime example of that, but uh, no, I mean, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. I was just saying, you know, one of the things about being the next big thing is you're also going against uh, 30 other teams full of players with the next big thing on it. Like I guess 29 other teams, you can't go against 30 other teams. Although in the Dominican, they have more than 30 teams, but whatever. Um, No. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. And that was the thing that I was going to mention about too, because the MLB.com had, prospects they were high about and who there's it was Roberto Campos and they, they started his his slugging percentage and, and the power numbers he did have but that's an example right there of it's way too early to see if it depends on where he's going to start this year if he stays the whole year in the rookie league again you gotta go okay well he's 17 all right but let's say he if he moves up to Lakeland that's progress and that's where you kind of have to have barometer set and also at the same time, the biggest takeaway and was something we'll talk to Kevin about too, is that uh, he mentioned Rainer Castillo, which is mm-hmm. a rare thing to mention among these prospect circles because the Tigers outside, you look at Bruce Rondon, you had Melvin Mercedes and Gregory Soto. And then at points you had, it depends on what we, you and I talked about this before. And uh, Sandy Baez was one point, a highly regarded mm-hmm. prospect within the Tigers, not, anywhere else so that to me is if Rainer Castillo he, worth mentioning that's 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 saying something comparatively speaking yeah you know they, they've I mean he pitched uh he pitched pretty well last year it, it's rare for them to spend money on on pitchers or spend like you know have one of their bigger signings be a pitcher so he's definitely somebody who bears watching but it's it's just always it's one of those things. It's it's not all that different than the draft or drafting high schoolers, if you will. Like everybody's excited about Jackson Job and his potential, and uh, it's nice. It would be nice if Jackson Job went out and dominated in rookie ball. Uh, but what you really want is you want to see these guys go out and perform and struggle and adjust in full season ball. And and you know Roberto Campos, I doubt they'll send him to Low A Lakeland. They may if they think he's ready. Um, and that would be a big sign. I mean, that, that that's, that's always a huge sign. Um, now the, the Tigers thought that Jose de la Cruz could handle full season ball. And he struggled like crazy in low a Lakeland last year. I think he hit like one thirty with a 50% strikeout rate, something he just was not ready. And he was okay in rookie ball again, but that's a sign of like, hey, and he got out over his skis. Uh, but then if you go back, 10 years or so both Willie Adamas and Domingo Leba went straight to full season ball. I believe after playing in uh, at the rookie level and the international level, you know, so that's a big sign. So if they see, if they send Campos, if they send Santana, they send those guys to full season ball this year, then the Tigers fans might be able to get a little excited, but again, they still have to go out and produce. So, uh, and, and if Castillo heads to Lakeland, that'd be sweet. Yeah, one well, step closer to getting a minor league jersey with uh, Castillo <laughs> on the back of it. Yeah, for sure. It means something. But there's – when I, I saw – last year I saw De La Cruz last year with Keen and uh, James mm-hmm. Shipman. 
And there was a couple times where he, he just struggled against off-seed pitches. And even the, I mean, the, the Robo strike zone, which by the way, speaking of which, AAA is going to have that going this year, by the way. Just uh, Mark sent me a note. Yeah, I know, right? So we'll go to the games this year. We're like, ah, crap. It's going to be either going to yep. get it. The ball's too high or it's going to be too low. It's going to, there's going to be an adjustment. And I don't know. That's, I feel like robot, um, robot umpires are going to be coming here to the big league sooner than we think if AAA goes the way they want to. But, De La Cruz made solid contact. He did. He the pitches he did get a hold of, but the problem was, was a lot of the breaking balls he struggled against. And they're, they're like, and he has an arm. Like I saw him, I saw him gun down somebody. He's got a really good arm. Defensively, his routes and the outfield are kind of just going to come in time. But there's definitely potential there. Well, yeah, and and that's that's one of the things. Like a lot of these guys, as we talked about, they perform in a workout setting, and it's like you said, Pedro Serrano. They haven't even seen legitimate professional breaking balls or change-ups, really. And, and so he could have all the tools in the world and, you know, be a 70-grade power, 70-runner. But if you can't hit a breaking ball and you you never develop that ability, then you're not going to be anything. And, and that's just one of those, you know, the, there are things that scouts look for to think that maybe a guy can, but... Uh, it's really a lot of it is just kind of taking it on faith. And yeah, it's, it sounds like Campos is kind of the same issue right now is, is, you know, you can be fooled by breaking pitches and maybe some guys pick it up quickly and, and off they go. But it, it's really just a wait and see game. And that's like, you know, it's always every time we talk about these international signings, it's like, well, let's talk about it in five years. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, I didn't you wouldn't look back. So what was the class five years ago? Was that Carlos Iragoyan and and. Uh, oh yeah, so that's and yeah, Alvarado or what was his name? Alvaro Alvaro, Alvaro Gonzalez was that five years ago? That was five years ago, yeah. And now none of those guys are considered prospects. And Pedro Martinez Jr. I think was uh, one of the big prospects that year. And none of they them spent, are on. They spent, none of them are on top prospect list at all. Did they spend quite a bit of money on him too, like over a million dollars? I thought they spent like nine hundred grand on Pedro Martinez Jr. Okay. All right. And he's, I don't think he's ever hit over 200 in rookie level ball. They spent a total of $30,000 for the pitchers they signed this year. $30,000. That's it. So the Tigers signed, did? Yeah. So they signed. Oh, I didn't see. Nice. Yeah. So they had uh, Edward Martero, uh, Monero for $10,000 out of Venezuela, another mm-hmm. Venezuelan uh, lefty this time in. Horger uh, Pe- Petri. Horger Petri, $10,000. Gabriel Torres also out of Venezuela at $10,000. And so, and what was Florian? Oh, ten thousand dollars. Sorry, forty thousand so, dollars. So they spent ten grand on each one of these. But well, we talked about it. Um, we talked about what the Astros did. The Astros spent like thirty thousand dollars total, or or less than a hundred thousand dollars total for three pitchers that started in the playoffs for them. So it's not always about how much money you spend down there. But and you mentioned yeah. this in the Discord channel earlier. You're absolutely right. There is. There was it's just the way that the, the development and, you know, those guys, it really, really goes a long way because it, you were talking about what the Houston did with some of the older veteran um, international signings they had. And then you see what the Dodgers have done. And there is there is a definitely for the Tigers right now, there's a lot of new people in place. And so one of the things I was trying to figure out, and I think I worded it incorrectly when I emailed Tigers PR, because I, I know sometimes one certain person doesn't have any patience with me, but uh, <laughs> I was essentially trying to see how much of a turnover since 2019, the training staff and all that has had, because mm-hmm. I think there's been more to me, there's more significant changes in the international side of things than there has been 
it probably 15, 20 years because there's a lot of people. It, it's just a new a series of new faces and, and how they're approaching development. They have, uh, you know, the coach now or the Latin player coach who's going to help them out, which I think is going to make a difference, but mm-hmm. a difference in how they play, we'll see. But it, it looks like here, the, the, the signings have that kind of feel of kind of the older class. And there was one situation, Chris, that you found uh, Hinson Sanchez, who looked like he was, was ready to go last year, which ironically enough is with the athletic, there's an article in the athletic we'll talk about later that ties into that. Yeah. And, and we're also going to talk a little bit on international draft. Um, and it's, it's, it's an open secret within baseball that teams are coming to agreements with these kids two sometimes three years before they're actually eligible to sign. They can't sign until they're 16 years old, but teams, and I'm sure there's, you know, uh, money backdoor deals, money given and things like that. And it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a terrible system down there. Uh, but baseball, you know, teams exploit poverty and then they exploit, uh, the, you've got, you've got Buscones. Some of them are, are really legit, good teachers, good coaches, things like that. They care about the players and other ones are just kind of exploiting the players to get, to make money. That's basically what it is. They're, they're trying to get the players. They don't actually teach them how to play baseball. They just want them to look good in showcase settings so they can get big bonuses. And then they get to take, I don't know, 30%, 40% of the bonus. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, a nasty system and uh, feels like there should be a better way. And uh, maybe there will be, maybe not. I don't know. And I, I, you know, there was a question that we're going to save for later, but one from a good friend of the show, Deadly Ninja Bees, who's been asking some great mm-hmm. questions since the pod, probably since the fall. And one of the questions he asked was, do you see any way that an international draft could work? Signing kids at 16 from poor countries seems creepy to me. And there's an element. And what he said, he's, I mean, here's, you know, you're talking, we're talking more to the Phil who is a Cuban baseball writer who's going down to Cuba to, to cover mm-hmm. the national series going on right now. We're going to have him on the podcast, hopefully in the next month or so. Cool. And I think like in terms of even how it's no different with how Cubans, I mean, if you're, if you're an athlete at a young age in Cuba, you go through their, their system. Like back in the, in the back of the day, I remember my, my father told me this and I remember it was validated. You go to a special school and you either you box or whatever the, the country needs or wherever you're good at that's what we focus on cubans are also really good at judo apparently they've been like really oh. good in, in in terms of judo the, chop judo chop and on the uh, international scene for the olympics but volleyball too same thing they've been really good at that so no, it's I, no different I, from that honestly in some cases well yeah and, and i uh you know if we ask this and, and goldstein comments on it i i bet what he'll say is something along the lines of it's way creepier than you can imagine right now like we talked about, they're talking to 12 year olds, 13 year olds, any, any sport where you're getting kids who are teenagers or preteens is always going to have some really weird, strange, gross stuff happening. Look at, look at gymnastics Oh yeah. or, or, you know, like soccer and England and others, you know, they're getting these kids in these, you know, they're basically in, in Manchester United feeder schools starting at like age seven or eight. Um, and we've seen some of that here in the United States with like IMG Academy and things like that with baseball and basketball and football. And, and you remember the stupid fake high school football team we saw this year, like yeah. for whatever reason, 
young sports if you if the, the more serious you take sports at the younger age the more weird stuff is going to come out and it sucks but that's the way of the world yeah, Bar- barcelona does the same thing mm-hmm. in la liga they do it they're uh, real madrid it's the same thing they, it's like but what's i think happened here in the united states at least in my opinion it's a lot more convert covert it's mm-hmm. disguised as education in reality we know it's i mean look at the before we get out of here, I mean, look at the free agent or quote unquote the transfer portal right now. It's a free, it's just <laughs> basically glorified free agency. You can't tell me otherwise. And I think with baseball, what's happening, and we've talked about this before, when you and I both played baseball back in the day, it was, mm-hmm. you know, there's a couple of travel teams, and, and travel teams were like you were, you represented the best of the city in your league. Now you have kids playing all year round. My, my niece is nine. And she, mm-hmm. they were trying to get her to play. She'd been playing since last year in February, and they wanted her to play her winter ball again. And nope. she's she's good. She's really good. She's a good pitcher. And she bats lefty. She or she's a switch hitter, so that's really good for her age. But my brother's like, man, I can't, I can't drive all over Kingdom Come. I mean, they had a tournament up in uh, in Midland. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I it, it's, uh, and I, I think I told you Harrison's got a uh, one of his good friends. He's seven. He's uh, playing baseball. They're not in season right now, but he has practices twice a week. He's the one who went and had like a three-hour practice with Jarrell Cotton. And it's like it's and it's not like his parents are pushing him too hard. This is like the way of the world now. And and yeah. like you know we we're really good friends with Brian Sikowski at Perfect Game, and uh, you know he does awesome work. And and Perfect Game does a ton of good stuff. So do the guys at uh, Prep Baseball Report. But it always feels a little bit weird when they've got like here are the like the top one hundred nine year olds in the country like things like that but if they didn't do it somebody else would there's a market for it for some reason and parents want to push their kids and some kids really want to do this and i don't maybe because it's all they know but yeah it's it's uh it's strange and it's it it excludes a lot of people because like you said it gets awfully expensive to be paying uh you know for jerseys and equipment and then traveling you know, some of these kids, the, the the summer showcase circuit is absurd. You know, they travel to Florida, they travel to California multiple times. They might be on in Texas, they might be in Chicago. It's it's you've got to have a lot of money and a lot of resources to get yourself seen enough to possibly be a first round pick these days. Yeah, and that's why you see kids at a young age having surgery as soon as yep, like 15, 16 years old. There was a when I was looking up, for example, the when I was doing the write up on Garrett Hill, he had surgery like senior, right senior before, in high school yeah senior year of high school yeah also i did not know he had a twin brother by the way it was a, he was a yeah you you were the one who told me that yeah so it's fun to uh, go to those dig dig or excuse me to do those deep digs on some of the pictures and there should be some more coming out hopefully get some people writing here sooner or later because i feel like uh i feel like a, i feel like a dad these days sometimes with some of our staff members but um <laughs> at any rate all right, yeah. so you want, of course, you listen to the supplemental, and we're going to be on with Kevin Goldstein here in just a few minutes. Old friend of the show, Perry, is going to talk 2021 movies. I just watched As Good As It Gets for the first time ever. Uh, recently. Oh, really? So, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting movie, but we'll talk about that a little later. That's so, interesting. I, I remember seeing that in, that came out like 97, 98, right? Yeah. So it would be interesting to go back and look at it now and see how it holds up. Yeah, no, Helen Hunt, by the way, underrated. She really, really she was everywhere for a while in the nineties, yeah. and then she just kind of disappeared. The last Oof. movie I saw her in was in, uh, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was about a, a writer who was in an iron lung. Interesting. 
yeah it was a, it was a pretty interesting movie but yeah all right all right we'll be uh yeah so tune in for the episode after that after that or, or stay tuned yeah 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 perry said he's backstage oh is he okay all right uh i will get that